0: Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined in this lovely stream yard by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing our appreciation of African-American music in Black Music Month. And tonight, we are... Reviewing from 1977, Scott Joplin, a Motown production directed Mm -hmm. by Jeremy Kagan, based on the life of the American composer and pianist Scott Joplin, and starring 70s Heartthrob, Billy D. Williams, Margaret Avery, Clifton Davis, and Art Carney. Vincent's selection for tonight's stop on the Me Show mission. What's up, Vince? How you doing, my brother? I'm all right. How are you, sir? Good to see you again. Yeah, It's good to see you. I am doing very well. Okay. Because we started <laughs> to get into this before the show, and we've... I, I said, oh, no, we got to wow. save this for the show. So, oh, my goodness gracious. Last night, on the on the episode previously, on the Micho Show mission... Yes. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum! Vincent and I were talking about favorite duets, and I actually introduced Vince to my favorite duet, one of my favorite songs of all time. It is a cover of Close to You by Gerald Levert and Tamia, And I actually sent Vincent a link to that song so that he he could hear it for himself because he was not aware of this cover I was not and you did send me the link I did send you the link and Vincent you listened to that song and what was your impression of that cover
1: I, 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 I didn't enjoy it I didn't enjoy it but I don't have to enjoy everything no everything doesn't have to be for everybody well that's very true But and that particular thing isn't for this particular body, that is true. From Toya,
0: our social media director, she sent a link to another cover of Close to You by another couple. This, yes, by Ron Isley of the Isley brothers and Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill, formerly of the Fugees. Mm-hmm. And I sent that link to you Vincent for your perusal
1: and what did you have to say of that cover of Close to I You I also did not like that cover. <laughs> but once again this is another thing that doesn't have to be for everybody. Okay. And that one wasn't for me. Okay. That wasn't but- for you. <laughs> that also that that
0: was not for me either. Yes. And admittedly I wasn't that big a fan of that version either, but that's not all that you said
1: that about is those not two all covers. that I said about those two covers. In my estimation, the execution itself is flawed because because Close to You mm-hmm. is not a duet song. First of all, as a song, just as a song, it's a pretty trite song. Like when you look at Burt Bacharach compositions, this is not one of his better works. The only version that really works for me, Mm -hmm. at the risk of being the, the, the cliche, stereotypical music critic who reads this into their music and everyone reads this into their music, I actually like the Carpenters version, okay, because Karen Carpenter's voice, right, has that sadness in it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in my mind, "Close to You" is a song about longing. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Just like me, they long to be close to you. Right. They long to be close to you. I'm not actually close to you. Like, I wanna be close to you. This whole song is about someone singing about wanting to be close to this other person. But that doesn't necessarily so, have to be sad. It is sad because I don't have what I want. That's, but no. But and then when it, you have Karen Carpenter's voice, again, you have that wonderful melancholy. Then, you, you know, then hey, it's a duet. So you have two people talking about being close to each other, which is dumb, because like y'all are actually, y'all can be close to each other. And then <laughs> Gerald LaVert is all Gerald lavert so like the room smells like chitlins and hair grease. Whoa, 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 whoa.
0: You ain't coming for Gerald LaVert like that,
1: dog. I'm not coming for Gerald LaVert, but Gerald LaVert is very much from that old school gravelly voice. I mean, he just sounds like his daddy. Well, what's wrong you with that? Said, you got something wrong with the OJ's. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Eddie Levert singing Eddie LeVert stuff, right? But you singing na na nah, nah, close to you that that ain't your voice. Nah, like see, that see, ain't what you do. What they
0: did, see, but to me, what they did was take that song, which admittedly, um, by Karen Carpenter, does have a melancholy to it. And they're not trying to recreate that feel. They're trying to take that and use those same words, Gerald LeVert and Tamia, and to a lesser degree, in my opinion, Ron Isley and Lauren Hill, but mm-hmm. they're trying to take those same words and and give them A a different meaning, so that it's not sad. It is a, it is a longing. It is a yearning. Sing another song. It is a burning desire to. Why are you singing this song to you? Why are you singing this song? Because that that song can be sung in a different way. It it can be. It can be sung and still have the same
1: meaning. It's just not melancholy. It's just not sadness. A monkey can drive a car with its feet. That doesn't mean you should. Like, yeah, they can do it. And they did it well. And they did it. I mean, okay. Off. Uh, if you say so. See, you're
0: ain't dead. Nobody inside. Of, ain't, ain't nobody never heard Ain't nobody never heard of this song, but all right, sure. You see, you, see, we have determined that you are dead inside. I mean and that's why you, you can like this. Right, sure. C- Karen Carpenter. Look. Why do and and your, your argument is flawed because the, the line is why do birds suddenly appear every time that you are near so obviously they are near they can be near to each other but when they are not they miss one another so it's not necessarily like this sad melancholy it's missing you and that's what,
1: no, 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 that's no. what... she sees the birds appear they long to be close to you I long to be close to you, but obviously I'm not close to you that much. Cause I'm singing a whole song
0: about it. Well, first of all, that doesn't mean you are it singing—you're not next to him that much. Look, it means that when I'm not with you, right, it hurts because I want to be with you so much. And it talks about how, in the song, they're singing to one another about how they
1: want to—no, no, 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 no—to each they, other. They right, want to right be because be together. They, Right, they've created a duet where there was no duet before. And they make it work. I mean, if you say so. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is a version of my other my other big music thing. You know, n- like nobody loves Aretha Franklin more than I love Aretha Franklin. Mhm. Aretha Franklin covering Eleanor Rigby actually enrages me. Why? Because that's another song it, it's about loneliness and isolation and voicelessness mm-hmm. and Aretha just Aretha's it like the song is so actually. she doesn't really catch the feeling of it. She it, right she she takes it well she does a version of what your people do with close to you like you listen to Eleanor Rigby and the speaker of the song is it's it's almost third person omniscient and they're talking about Eleanor Rigby, and they're talking about, like, like the preacher, and they're talking about all, the, I mean, it's right there in, in the hook, all the lonely people. Mm-hmm. Like, all these lonely people by themselves who are voiceless. Mm-hmm. And by themselves. Aretha comes out, I'm Eleanor Rigby! Something, something, something. It's like, whoa, whoa, Eleanor Rigby doesn't have a voice. Okay, so that's, that's- the whole point of the song. Okay. Now, you can argue, well, she made it her own. She made it work. And certainly people have argued it.
0: I don't like it. No, see, I understand. See, I'm with you because in there, she's just Singing the song and not really paying attention to the lyrics and what she is singing, I argue that in the close to you re- uh redo by Gerald Levert and Tamiya, they are paying attention to the song to the to the song, are paying attention to the lyrics and giving it and truly giving it a different feel. I argue that it is not the same thing.
1: You 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 just made the exact same argument that people make about Aretha Franklin's Eleanor Rigby. But they're wrong. Like it's the exact same but, but
0: but i, <laughs> oh, oh, I they're agree, wrong. I agree, <laughs> with, they're you. Wrong. I agree with you. I agree with you like that they're your, wrong
1: in that. Yes. But you like yours, so you don't agree with it with that one.
0: No, no, it's not it's not because I like mine. It's because I can see where she is not getting the the she is not capturing any semblance of what the words are saying, right? So I can see that. She's basically just, you know, singing the song. She's just Aretha singing the song. I I can see that. I can see your point about that, right? I don't, I don't think that applies to this. There are other remakes where that does apply. I don't think it applies to this. I'm sorry. right. don't. All right. And in this, you are wrong. Blue Girl 718 says that Aretha did some strange (laughs) covers over the years. You know.
1: Well, you know, I think Aretha's thing was she was just punking everybody. Like, Aretha was just like, I can do whatever you do better than you. Or, and this may be blasphemy,
0: is this Aretha's version of oh sure, I can sing anything and make it a hit akin to Sammy Davis Jr doing a whole album of trying to make
1: hits out of TV theme songs I think it's a little different with the reason. is it I ain't gonna let you disrespect the queen now is it I'm just saying I'm I'm just,
0: I'm, I'm just saying uh Sammy Davis Jr remade the Jeffersons theme song he remade
1: All in the Family theme song. He thought he was onto to something. You know my favorite thing? You know my favorite thing is him doing the theme to Shaft and changing the words. Because I'm not quite sure he'd ever seen Shaft. Like someone, told, like someone told him about Shaft. And then he sang the theme to Shaft. Oh, that's right. He did. Sound, and he like changes the lyrics. <laughs> it's like Sammy Davis Jr., did you actually see Shaft? Or did someone tell you about Shaft? Anyway well, the look the, the problem I'm not the, trying the to it- I'm not trying to piss in your cornflakes. That's your jam. <laughs> you like your jam. Look, look, you enjoy it. Please don't piss in my cornflakes. Yes. I'm a, I'm gonna go somewhere and drink some dark liquor and listen to Karen Carpenter's song of longing and well, sadness. Well, that's what
0: you do when you listen to Karen Carpenter. You listen to right. you drink some dark liquor and you feel sad.
1: Right. You ever listen to the Carpenter's Christmas album? No. Boy, that's like stabbing your eyes out. I know. I know. No, I don't. Uh, why would I listen to
0: the, the Carpenter's Christmas album? Hmm. Temptation's Christmas. I, Carpenter's I know. Christmas.
1: Uh, know. You, know who, you know who else has a really depressing Christmas album? William Shatner? Ray Charles. No. Ray Charles's Christmas album is just really sad. I don't think I've ever it, heard Ray Charles. It's really sad. It's like, my God, who wants to hear this? Really? Like, like, does yeah. he sing like the classics? There are some classics, but then a lot of it's just really bluesy and sad. Well,
0: wait a minute, I heard Ray Ray Charles sing Rudolph
1: the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It was pretty funky. Okay, maybe it was from a different album. Yeah, maybe. It was. I mean, he, you know, he made thirty-seven thousand albums. Karen Carpenter, she had a nice voice, but I'm not. You gotta be in the mood. It's a weird, it's it's funny because it speaks to what we'll talk about a little later with the movie. It It's, it's a weird contrast. Because mm-hmm. she has kind of like that light, airy, kind of white pop voice, that mm-hmm. like 70s almost Brady Bunch voice, but then it's that darkness right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is like, you know, they would play her with like Olivia Newton-John and stuff. Or, or the Partridge family, but it wasn't it it, really like it it was like right there. Like even before you knew about her personal issues, mm-hmm. you could tell like there's something else going on here. Yeah. They like I say about people now, like if I was an adult in nineteen seventy five, I would have like had an afro and I'd have been sitting somewhere and like the carpenters would have come on and I would have said, Somebody need to check on her. Yeah! Gerald LeVert got got collard green grease all over my AirPods. Look, I'm tired of you coming
0: for, for Gerald Levert. Gerald Levert was a bad man, dog. He was. A, yes, he, he, was. A,
1: he was. He, he was. was. I'm just. I'm just messing with Collin you. green grease. Now I I'm will say though, messing with you. I was um, like, is someone baking cornbread? <laughs> I
0: will. I will say though, uh, when I went to see him in concert, and Gerald Levert had this had this bit where he would jump off the stage. And Uh-oh. run around the arena. And <laughs> and for those who don't remember, you know, rest in peace, Gerald Levert, Gerald Levert was not a small man at any time yes. in his life, you know. Um, and by the time he ran around that arena, dog, that shirt was like nine shades of of sweat. But that man put on a hell of a show, and then he would get back up on he would get back on the stage. And he was, he'd be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, the background singers." And he would just sit down.
1: <laughs> he would just sit down. Well, you know, all jokes aside, that was one of his things. Like he talked about that. He said the record companies wanted him to lose weight mm-hmm. and to shave. Yeah, yeah, and and he said he wouldn't do it. I could understand he, and, him and, not wanting and, to and, shave. And he said his fans loved him the way he was. And and you had to respect that, you
0: got to respect that. And I and I I feel him on the shaving thing, um, but the weight, like dog man, like that's just a matter of especially the way that you're living your life. You've got to get your your situation in shape, man. It's just so that you can, right, continue Live. with your, yeah. with you know, in your chosen field, man. Yeah, you've got you've got to, man. And he was not—he was not healthy, you know. I mean, he wasn't like—he never took—he never struck me as like a huge, like sloppy dude with his weight. Like he wasn't like, you know, like he wasn't like, like Biggie Smalls, like sloppy with with fat. But he wasn't in good shape, and he really had to work on that. Shame.
1: Right. It is a shame, and I'm just messing with you. Well, oh, we we were supposed to talk about Medea. Were we? We were supposed to talk about Tyler Perry's announcement that he's bringing Medea back on Netflix. Oh. Okay. Go ahead. Introduce it. Tyler Perry is bringing his character Medea back on Netflix. He made an announcement on his social media. I think Netflix actually made an announcement so that there's going to be new Medea only on Netflix. So that is the news. (laughs) <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually happy. I'm happy for his fan base. I'm happy for. You know what I was thinking about? I think I may be at peace with Medea in 2000, or, or rather, more at peace with Medea in 2021 than I've ever been. Why? Because I think my main argument about Medea was how it was representative of basically black art like like that's all we had for a minute was medea and the argument always was if there was a variety of of images a variety of examples of black art medea wouldn't be so bad and i do think that we are at we are in a moment where there are so many black creatives and there are so many black stories and there's so much black art that look people like Medea. Let him have Medea. Medea's not bothering anybody. I
0: don't have a problem with him returning Medea to Netflix and bringing it back and whatever shenanigans he has to do story wise to to make it happen. Even if he cares, he probably really all he has to do is just say like, "Psych, I'm here," you know, um, and and everybody will show up. I don't have absolutely i have absolutely no problem with him doing that my biggest problem with tyler perry has been um i don't know what to believe about the stories about some of his practices at at his studio as far as working with unions and stuff like that i don't know what to believe with that so i put that to the side i don't know but what i can say say is that looking in the product that he does outside of Medea, I see little to no growth in the artistry or in the craft of telling a story, whether or not it be for film or whether or not it be for television. Everything seems to be all about the lowest common denominator as far as the audience you try to. To reach and even and when it is done with, you know, a hint of sophistication, even that is is fumbled. And to be as long in the game as he has been, to see what I actually see is a little bit of a backslide in the quality of of his work. I think is is um. That's where I've I I, I pulled a man's card. I'm like, yo, there are ways around this. You do not have to be the only voice in the room. You can listen to other creatives. They are there are. Uh, you have at your disposal a studio and a. Um, a operation, a mechanism, a production line that can take creatives work and make it sing. And, And these creatives can, if you want to, work in tandem with you to make your stuff that much better. And I just see a man that is totally tunnel vision, all about just his vision, his way. And you can say that his way got him to where he is now. That is true, but I also think that his way is slowly the, wor- the worm is turning or the world is turning whatever that that phrase is and he is being met with diminishing returns on his production and i think he he could have had that off but i think he's, he just uh, refuses to do so
1: yeah I, I think he has a work ethic and uh a strategy that as as you said, has worked for him, does it produce diminishing returns? I think you could argue that as well. I suspect he is bigger than he ever thought he was going to be, and that his people like his his- his you know for lack of a better word, his rot or die people, the ones he cares about, his primary audience mm-hmm. Is not concerned with any of any of of the reservations that we would that we have about the quality of his work, and nor should
0: they. That's their man, and they're gonna ride or die so, for him. That's So cool.
1: therefore, you know, again, you and I have to watch Medea at some point and watch this stuff just for this. But you know, he ain't bothering nobody. Make that money, and and make and make the movies for Big Mama and them that they like. Very true. So, Very true. yay for Tyler Perry. Get that Netflix money. Get that Netflix money. Hey, I, I, I will not ever knock the man's hustle. Right, right. Go go, go ahead, put that wig back on. That's right. But, you know, I just thought it was funny they had to make an announcement. Like, was there anyone who actually thought Medea was gone? I guess they don't read comic books, so they don't know how this works. <laughs> no. They
0: don't know how this works, Vince. All they right. don't know how this works. <laughs> The way the right, show so works, go. though, ladies and gentlemen, is that we eventually get to a review of a film. And right now, we're going to get to our review of 1977's Scott Joplin.
1: We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it.
2: Recognize this music. It's called Ragtime. Do you know who wrote it? Scott Joplin. This is how it all began. What's your name? Scott Joplin. Never heard of Scott Joplin. You're an entertainer? And the composer? Scott Joplin. The story of the man whose music led the way to jazz. The music publisher who gambled on his talent. The performer who helped make his music famous. The girl who loved him even more than his music. Ragtime was born in the body houses along the Mississippi and almost died there. Ragtime is not coon music. What is it if it's not? A music never heard before. Fighting to be born. Street vulgarity. Obvious. Common. Like a criminal novel. A passing fad. The ragtime he wrote became the craze of the gay 90s. Introduce you to the king of ragtime, Scott (laughs) Joplin. Ragtime gave him everything, but everything was not enough. I'm gonna write an opera. Opera. An opera in ragtime. A ragtime opera. Why? Because it is right. Because it is their music, con Rio fortissimo, and that they will draw comfort from. It's suicide, financial professional. what I want to do. Well, I don't think much of this uptown stuff, messing around with piano scores. Man any good, he plays his music. You are the author of America's truly native music. I'm going to make the people know it. They did know it, then and now. In 1974, his music won an Academy Award for The Sting. In 1975, his opera, Tremonitia, premiered on Broadway. In 1976, he was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for his music. Scott Joplin, still the king of ragtime.
0: Scott Joplin, a 1977 biographical film directed by Jeremy Kagan, based on the life of of the American composer and pianist Scott Joplin. This Motown production stars Motown superstar Billy D. Williams, Margaret Avery, Clifton Davis, and special guest star Art Carney. The film has a script that actually won an award from the Writers Guild of America in 1979. And It is Vince's selection for tonight's stop on the Michel Mission as we continue on in African American Music Appreciation Month. Vince, what say you of Scott Joplin?
1: To understand this film and, and the road to this film being produced, I think it is important to understand a little bit of the context of Scott Joplin and his place in popular history as as many of us know in 2021 Scott Joplin was the father of ragtime music in the late 19th century early 20th century most famous for the the maple leaf rag and many of us know it even if you don't know it if you hear that song do 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 and that is Scott Joplin, and, and that is what we hear when we think about ragtime music. And many music scholars say that ragtime is, is sort of the predecessor of swing music and jazz music and, and other types of popular music, so that when we say Scott Joplin is the father of ragtime, what we're really saying is that scott joplin is the father of american music frankly mm-hmm. just american popular music but scott joplin as a figure that people knew had faded away from the general populace and and what people knew about him he died in 1917 he died penniless like I said, music scholars sort of knew about him, music folks sort of knew about him, but no one really knew who Scott Joplin was. And much like we talked about last week when we discussed the the internet and our access to to this footage and 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 to all of this knowledge, if you will, this is something relatively new. So that if you went away, you went away. Mm-hmm. So that for decades, Scott Joplin was something that unless you were a music historian or, or again, deep up into jazz, you had no idea who Scott Joplin was. 1974, something very important happened, and that was the release of a film called The Sting. Yes. Which was a, this phenomenal hit, this huge hit. Starring Robert Redford. Great movie. And for... The, the the reason we're talking about is that it was set in the early part of the 20th century and they utilized some of Scott Joplin's music. Which then started this resurgence of interest in Scott Joplin. So that, uh, you know, like I said, the film comes out in 1974. There's this great resurgence of, of interest in Scott Joplin. Scott Joplin wins... A, a posthumous Pul- pulitzer prize for his music uh his his recordings are re-released everybody's talking about scott joplin scott joplin scott joplin is on everyone's mind so of course it makes sense that scott joplin's life is going to be adapted into some type of film motown is in the midst of their 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 effort to expand beyond music By 1977, they have released uh, Bingo Long is Traveling All-Stars, Lady Sings the Blues, Mahogany. They are very much in the business of trying to be a multimedia company. Now they want to expand into television. And Motown says, basically, we're going to make a television miniseries, basically, about scott joplin's story and they partner with universal and they make this 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 product that the plan is to put it on television because it's motown if if there is a leading man for in motown that would of course be billy d williams and at this point billy d williams is their go-to so it seems like a no-brainer that billy d williams is going to play the lead Mm-hmm. and play scott joplin so billy boyce plays scott joplin in this uh in in this television miniseries and as as lynn said art carney is in it the wonderful M- margaret avery is in it clifton davis is in it and the, and and they make this film after they make it however universal thinks that this is something that they can recut and release it as a film. So Scott Joplin is released as a film. Which frankly puts it into our purview. I I had never heard of this. Lynn you said you had never heard of this. This is a film that does not really come up. And I think part of the reason we don't talk about it as a Motown film. Is because it was never meant to be a film. And if if... I hadn't told you that this was not meant to be a film. If you watch this, you know immediately this was supposed to be on television. Yep. The way it is shot, the pacing, the costuming, the cinematography, everything about Scott Joplin feels like it should have been on television. I put in my notes, it it feels like an unaired pilot for a spinoff from the Waltons. Mm-hmm. Like, it really does feel like a television show. And that's an observation. Your analysis of that observation, I will leave to you. I, I think it is jarring watching this, trying to think of it as a film. If this was on television, you might look at it differently. Like I said, it very much looks like a curio from the 70s. Billy D. Williams in the lead doesn't really work for a couple of reasons, regardless of whether it's supposed to be on television or not. You and I have talked about Billy D. Williams before in the past. I am a bigger Billy D. Williams fan, especially during the 70s, than you are, but I also understand Billy D. Williams' strengths and his weaknesses. And Billy D. Williams, I believe, works best as a leading man. I think he has charm. I think he has worked well with Diana Ross. I think he needs to be a leading man. But this story about Scott Joplin, who dealt with a fair amount of challenges, if you will, that mm-hmm. we'll talk about some of them. But but one of the primary challenges is he is a misunderstood genius. He is a misunderstood genius who is almost inventing a brand new art form, and he's dealing with early twentieth century racism that sees this art form as vulgar, mainly because a black man has come up with this and there is a lot of interior tor- turmoil turmoil, there is a lot of 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 moments where he is grappling with his genius, and Billy D. Williams is just not that actor actually wrote in my notes that Billy D. Williams needs a woman for him to sort of bounce off of, and his, his, his female lead, Margaret Avery, doesn't show up until a half hour into this one hour and 37 minute movie, and then she leaves maybe a half hour later. And even with that, there isn't any chemistry between the two of them. And I, I go back to comparing this coupling if you will to the great billy d williams coupling which is billy d williams and diana ross Mm -hmm. and everything that i think works about billy d williams and diana ross billy d williams i believe was in awe of diana ross diana ross is tickled because this beautiful man is in awe of her so they have this symbiosis a but b more importantly Diana Ross is not the greatest actress either. So no. Billy D. Williams and Diana Ross are on about the same level. A, you don't get the sense that Margaret Avery is that, is that enamored with Billy D. Williams. Mm-hmm. B, Margaret Avery is an actress. And while she doesn't have a lot to do in this film she acts rings around Billy Dee Williams. There's a scene in particular where their daughter dies. Their their infant daughter dies, and this is obviously a a very dramatic moment. And Margaret Avery captures the stillness and this sort of heartache that you would expect a mother who has lost her child Mm -hmm. to have on screen. Billy Dee Williams just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it at all. So... You have this film that was put together to be on television, and those the, the, and and you lose it in translation when it's on the film. You have that working against this right You have Billy D. Williams and his limitations as an actor working against this film again, Margaret Avery love Margaret Avery. she's not given a lot to do in this film, but it's Margaret Avery. Clifton Davis has a little bit of life in this film little and bit. it's night a little bit so that when he's on screen he's you know okay it's Clifton Davis there's there is one scene in here that I, I quite enjoyed. They, they there was a um there was a practice called cutting where where piano players would basically go head to head literally head to head they put pianos up against each other and they try to outplay each other and there's a bit of energy in that scene And I said, oh, okay, I kind of like this a little bit. But for the most part, there's really nothing to recommend about this film on the film's own merits. Now, the one thing that I did enjoy to the point where it almost justifies its existence, as I said, Scott Joplin... Dealt with challenges in his life, and the film kind of deals with challenges, and and one set of challenges we've talked about. He's a misunderstood genius, he's dealing with the racism of of the early 20th century, everything that goes along with that. The other challenge, and this is biographically true, this actually is true about Scott Joplin, he contracts syphilis, and the syphilis is a huge plot point in this film. This is a movie almost as much about syphilis as it is the music. He hides the syphilis from his wife. The implication is that the syphilis has affected his infant daughter and that's why she dies. Clifton Davis gets syphilis and it turns him into one of the crackheads from Jungle Fever. He can't control his hands because of the syphilis he being uh, Scott Joplin, the syphilis drives him crazy, and that is actually he actually died from syphilis um, in, in form dementia. Yes. But there's yes. like the last 10 minutes of the film where, where Billy Dee Williams has this gray wig on, and he's shaking his head, and he's acting all crazy because the syphilis has driven him crazy. And because it looks like a made-for-television film, it's almost like this bizarro after school special that's a that's very apropos that's very apropos about the scourge of venereal disease and how it can take you off of life's track now that's a kind of bizarre banana stuff that appeals to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: whether or not that's enough to justify the film is is <laughs> I'll leave that to you, dear missionary. But I will leave it there that the most interesting thing about the Scott Joplin film is the emphasis on the effects of syphilis. And yet as
0: effective as syphilis is in stifling all of the dreams of Billy D. Williams, as well as Clifton Davis, who is also a pianist in this movie, it has zero effect ...on their conch... ...because... (laughs) ...even through the ravages... ...of sin... ...their conch... ...is laid... ...to the side... ...pressed... ...to impress... ...it don't matter if they getting up out of the bed sweaty and coughing or if Clifton <laughs> Davis is crooked leg across the street with his hands all bent up his curl is freshly dipped at all times so syphilis hey you you can do what you won't do but you ain't gonna mess up my do, alright all day in this movie. All right? That's obviously where the most of the budget went
1: because <laughs> it's it's like the anti-Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> Dude,
0: you talk about this looks like it was uh like a pilot for Scott Joplin on the Prairie. This looks like a vignette from Fantasy Island. Like this looks so It looks so cheap, dog. Yeah. yeah. It, it looks so cheap. God bless them. They reworked that room a thousand different ways to make it look like Billy D's house. Nine different bars in St. Louis, New York. You got man, they was moving that chair like to put it, to, no, put it, put it askew. There you go, New York. There you go. There's a New York chair, <laughs> and this makes me question who was running Universal Studios in 1977 that saw this and said, You know what? I think we've got a hit. No, <laughs> let's put this on the big screen. <laughs> like, who, who saw this? Who, who was looking at this movie? This dude, this movie looks like oh my god! And Clifton Davis, like Clifton Davis, he's done some movies, but let's let's call it for what it is. Clifton Davis made his bones on television, right? Yes, and that's, that's he my mama. made his bones on television playing a straight-laced kind of guy. And it's all in his face. Clifton Davis looks like a straight-laced dude. So to cast him (laughs) as, like, this rogue cad pianist who is just running through chicks so bad that he couldn't track down where he got the syphilis if it was lit up on the street. (laughs) <laughs> to cast him as this, like this, this cool street dude, I'm like, dude, this is this is not working. This is not working at all. And plus, he's supposed to be in his twenties. I'm like, um, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Bi- Billy D. Williams is supposed to be in his 20s? Twi- no, I'm sorry. Billy D. Williams is. He he every line reading is like a cult 45 movie. <laughs> it, it's like a cult 45 commercial. Every single line reading in this film is just like that. It's every I'm Scott Joplin <laughs> throughout the entire movie. And then he gets he gets super dramatic TV mad, you know? I'm gonna prove to... I'm a genius. Are you serious? Are you serious? are you serious? This movie it's 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 just a waste of time. And I was going to say that you know for you know Art Carney I'm a huge Art Carney fan Art Carney made his made his bones in 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 movies in the 50s and 60s and the, of course in the 50s on as Ed Norton in The Honeymooners he's the immortal Art Carney and then into his senior age Art Carney was he was a working actor he was doing work he was a name he is the name in this movie Art Carney is in another movie he is you know he real. I think he realizes eh, this is a TV thing, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it up to about a good seven. Mark mm-hmm. Carney at a seven is good enough for this side of Fantasy Island, so he <laughs> he's he's good, right? But this movie really made me because, like you said, I already know what I'm getting from Billy D. Williams, right? Right. right. Billy D. Williams good-looking dude, has a bit of a presence to him, but I don't, outside of that, I, I don't think much of him as an actor, right? Never have, and I've not been given any evidence to think differently. Clifton Davis, if he stays in his lane, okay. Here, he's out of his lane, oops, it's a trip. But, you know, it's whatever. He's trying, he's TV, he's he's affordable for Motown. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> so but this affordable. movie made me but this movie made me think differently about Margaret Avery. Because, like you, for the most part, I have a genuinely good feeling about Margaret Avery. Mm -hmm. But, as she has come up a few times on the mission, I find myself reconciling that, hmm, when I think of good Margaret Avery, I'm going to the color purple, and which way is up? She's good in which way is up, but she's not like great in
1: which way is up. oh, I completely disagree with you. I think I she's mean, better she's, in which way is up than she is in the color purple she's okay
0: okay, okay I'll give you that she's she's good in she's good in which way is up, but she's so. Ineffective in this movie, mm-hmm. and I don't know maybe maybe that's because she is bouncing off of Billy D Williams, and you're right, they have absolutely no chemistry, maybe that's it, maybe it's because the script gives her nothing to do, like absolutely nothing to do in no. the script, but there's sometimes like her mousy voice in this movie it really had me thinking was she really good in The Color Purple? Was I seeing things when I thought she was good in The Color Purple? And I say that because on our review of The Color Purple our guest on that episode uh, Denise James actually says that she thought that Margaret Avey was the wink link in that movie. And we all were like what? Get out of here! Like she's yes. one of the strong points of of that film. See, is, is in this, you know, just of what is a different years? movie. I know, I know. So I, maybe I'm, I'm 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 judging a little bit too harshly, perhaps, yes. P- perhaps, perhaps I'm judging too harshly, and maybe that is because as I sat there watching Scott Joplin, I needed something to focus on so that I could. Pay attention to the movie in some way. You should have been paying attention to the syphilis. There was so much syphilis. The, well, the only re- way, I, the only time I really paid attention to the syphilis was when Billy D. Williams contracted syphilis <laughs> from Lady Syphilis as she came, she came cascading down, she the came stair. floating down the steps. With the wind machine blowing her hair, I think it was the syphilis blowing her hair. And then you know she 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 touched Billy D,
1: <laughs> gave him the, and drew him away him from the... the piano. He stopped playing the piano. Doom. Do, 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 <laughs> and then she transported him upstairs. And then he had the syphilis. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you. When it went off, I kept waiting for Billy D. Williams to walk out on screen and, like, you know how a chair is sitting in in the middle of, of like the stage, like take the chair and he turned around because that's how you knew he was serious. And he sit mm-hmm. on the chair backwards. And, Hello, kids. Let me rap to you for a second.
0: Oh no, I'm, wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: Yeah, see, you got to go. It's like hi, I'm, I'm Billy D. D. Williams. <laughs> you just saw me portray Scott Joplin. And I want to talk to you a bit about syphilis. Like Scott Joplin, syphilis can derail your dreams. So you make sure you wrap up your little friend, or else you'll have a ragtime of your own. And there's a doo 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 doo, the more you know. For more information on syphilis, go to your local library. Well, first of all,
0: it starts with Billy D. Williams walking to the chair. And the announcer, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Billy D. Williams Billy for D. syphilis.
1: <laughs> I have never in my life seen a film where syphilis was this huge plot point.
0: Miss McKeeba says, We are refusing to call Billy D by his character's name. No, you're right, because no. This was not Scott Joplin
1: on this screen. I was about to say, Billy D. Williams doesn't actually become another person. He does not. (laughs) Like, he's Billy D. Williams in everything. Pretty much. Pretty
0: much. And the shame of it is, it's like, this is the one representation that we have of Scott Joplin's life. Right. You know? And. And there's an argument to be made of how really, truly dramatic his his life story is, but it is dramatic when you think about, you know, like you said, what this disease did do to him, let alone what it did to his career, but what it did to his family, right? Sure, sure. So, um, so there definitely is a story, there is something to be mined from
1: there, but this is the only representation we have of that. Look, I'm I'm joking about the syphilis. There's a sentence you don't hear that often. Um because in my mind so much more is interesting about his musical career. Mm-hmm. Like I understand his his private life and and how he died, but again, the man invented popular music. Like the man basically invented American music. Like it all kind of comes from him. And Mm -hmm. even, even the, 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 the concept of his wanting to make different types of music, I thought was, was really fascinating. That whole thing with him and, and they kind of set the parallel with a Philip Sousa, the March guy, like it really was this tension about how are we going to define ourselves as a culture?
0: Yeah, and I also thought that there was something to be mined, and I don't know how much because I don't know the the real story, but I thought that there was something to be mined when Clifton Davis' character uh, returns after Scott, you know, Scott Joplin, Billy D. Williams, has made a name for himself (laughs) and Scott, Billy D. Williams, is upset because all of the black pianists out there are pretty much just freestyling with his music. Right. Well, they're basically in in,
1: in improvising. Right. And at one right. part at one point Art Carney's character says black artists are good at improvising but not at writing. Mm-hmm. And and there's that bit of, about being a composer and what does that look like? Right. Yeah, so I thought there was something, so like th- there's things to be mind here. definitely something there for a movie. Yeah. Yeah, it it's just it uh, um it just seemed like a weird direction to go in to focus so much of the story on
0: that. It does, but if you're thinking that you gotta remember the origin of this is the miniseries, right? So right. you've gotta think of that last act of the film, which is when this the the syphilis co- you know, subplot comes home, really. You've gotta think of that as your your finale of the miniseries. You know? This is Dakota to get us out of the story. Remember, remember in 1977, Motown wants to do a miniseries. The miniseries is still a new thing in 77. Sure. You know? Sure. Mind you, miniseries are such a new thing that they're usually prestige projects that you're going to throw a lot of money behind. AKA um the Thornbirds or Roots or something like that. But Motown Oh Motown, who has never found a corner that they couldn't cut in half in force. Yeah, if they, co- yeah, if they yeah. could. They threw absolutely
1: no money at this. Yeah, it's it's pretty low budget. It's pretty low budget, and and I think it's reflected in in a couple of different aspects of this production. Yeah. You, you know, you you were joking about the sets and 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 the costumes too frankly but but the script as well yeah it's just not the script as well it's not good so miss makeba
0: uh it hit us yeah, up in the oh, chat yeah. that the noted uh afrofuturistic author Tana reeve du I always have to take my time with her name her book joplin's ghost includes fascinating details from scott joplin's life it's interesting that she went there because i found myself while watching this film not c- caring a lick about the movie, but thinking that the story of Scott Joplin and his music and then his life is ripe for exploration in some type of Afrofuturistic way, i.e., uh, Lovecraft Country or. Mm-hmm. Um, akin to the Watchmen you know I I was thinking I was thinking just that thing while I was watching and it's cool to see that there actually is a book out there that probably is uh, does play around with that that'd be cool that'd be cool to to check out I'll have to check that out that's dope so Vincent would you (laughs) recommend that the missionaries watch Scott Joplin I
1: would not. I would not. Um I think it's an interesting curio to know about. Like I it's it's funny I was looking at the list of um Motown movies and I believe that thank God it's Friday and the Wiz come out after this. Mm-hmm. And then the final, then, then the real, and, and then there was another film that I'd never heard of. It's it's weird. I had them, it, it's weird thinking about the Motown films. There was a film called Big Time that came out before. So it's, thank God it's Friday, The Wiz. There's another film that I just forgot the name of. And it's the only Motown film that didn't center on black people.
0: That was the 1981 TV movie, Callie and Son.
1: Starring Lindsay Wagner. And then there's The Last Dragon. So in a lot of ways, this is smack dab in the middle of Motown's experiment, if you will. And this is the last period piece. This is the last period piece. So while I think it's interesting to know about, I I don't, yeah, there's no reason to watch this.
0: I'm going to take a, a, a slightly different take on that. This is there's no reason to watch this if you're home looking for something to watch, if you're looking for a good movie, right? There's no reason to watch this movie if you're an adult. (laughs) 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 But as a, as you mentioned, a curio, and as the only representation that we have of this artist's life in some type of film. I think this might be an interesting film to show to elementary school. A lot of
1: prostitutes and syphilis.
0: Well, I mean, there's a disease called syphilis that there is not any one... There's not any direct correlation in this film to them saying that it came from a prostitute. There are illusions that... <laughs> could have got from a public toilet could have got could have got it from a public toilet. Could've got, could've got from a pub. who knows <laughs> that when the lady did this she hadn't washed her hands hadn't washed her hands he was drinking a soda after somebody and got the syphilis you don't you don't know the bar didn't you look clean the bar didn't look clean it was the same bar in every scene he's playing the piano after people people just
1: playing the piano willy-nilly there was no so there he was sat no down, hand sanitizer No hand sanitizer anywhere.
0: No, this is how plagues start. This (laughs) is just just how it happens. I mean,
1: all right. So you show
0: it to the kids, and and mind you, I'm not saying second (laughs) and third grade, but like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they could. I mean, I could see it, it as as being a way into at least knowing about the man's life. Sure, sure.
1: Okay, I agree with you. I'll say ninth grade.
0: Yeah, maybe ninth grade. <laughs> ninth, ninth grade. Miss McKeever <laughs> says he got that
1: nasty woman's disease. Got that nasty woman's disease. Oh my goodness. Did he give the syphilis to Margaret Avery and then she went over to the color purple and that's why they said she had it? Oh, wow. Remember, that's what they said wow. about Shug Avery. Wow. They said Shug Avery had that nasty woman's disease. Wow, Vince. <laughs> wow, Vince. That's exactly what happened. So, are you telling he gave me it the, that the color is, is is a sequel to, to Scott Joplin. Scott Joplin. She left Scott Joplin, went, changed her name, became a singer, and then ended up with Mr. And in the world where she had that nasty woman's disease. So when she told her father, look, I was married now, what she didn't tell you was that that was her third husband. <laughs> See, now, now it's much more interesting as a prequel to The Color Purple.
0: It ain't that much interesting, but that's a nice trick. Um. <laughs> That'll be the headcanon for us. That, is, In your headcanon, <laughs> Scott, Scott
1: Joplin. That's, a, <laughs> that's why she was drunk at the beginning. Because she was trying to drink her pain away. Before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That was more interesting than this whole movie.
0: Hit us up on uh, email. Email us at mission at gmail.com. Share with us all your thoughts and concerns. Let us know. We're going to be doing a binge lounge in the last week of June. So let us know if there's anything you want us to cover. On the bench lounge, write us, let us know. Or you can hit us up on all the f- social media: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, subscribe on YouTube at Me Show Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made, me showmission.com, our reworked and revised and sexy looking website where you can hit swag and check out all of the cool designs and gift items that we have available for you by way of our good friends at T public and the Show Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate curated podcast for your earbuds go to thepodglomerate.com to check out all that they have there okie dokie next okie dokie next week Vince and I will be returning live on Tuesday June 22nd and we are going to be bringing Toya Haynes of the first time I heard podcast along with us to review house party Two, the houseening until then he's vincent i'm len and in parting we
1: say we'll see you when it's time to meet again